You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Turn with me to the book of Matthew in chapter number 19. Matthew chapter number 19, I've already. Matthew chapter 19, we'll start in verse number 4. As you're turning there, I do want to say, I want to uh, just make a quick plug for the foundation class Thursday night. Uh, Pastor Brian will be teaching again. He's teaching on sanctification. We believe and we preach the message of Christ and Him crucified. And we believe Colossians 2 and 6, that as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. And we are doing our best to explain that because we know that the trying of our faith is Monday through Saturday when we're not in church. That's when we're a witness, and that's when our light is supposed to shine. And so we're trying to invest in that to teach you how to live for the Lord. And so I encourage you to come if you can Thursday night at 7 o'clock. This will be class number 6, number 6. We only have two more after this. And if you can't come, if you can watch live, you're welcome to do that. If not, then please be praying for that class. And so we're just expecting great things. The Lord always touches somebody's heart in them. And just in a great way on that through that foundation class. And so we appreciate your faithfulness and appreciate your prayers for that class. Matthew chapter 19, we start in verse number 4, is where we'll look. My voice is weak, so you may have to up and down. Matthew chapter number 19, verse number 4. The Bible says, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. The world needs to hear that today. And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man Put asunder. Back up to verse number five. He said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And I want to minister for just a moment. I want to try to teach for just a little bit on this thought. Two shall become one. Two shall become one. Now, there's a lot I'd like to say, and there's no way that we'd get done with everything. Uh, that, that we would like to say tonight, Sister Becky made me a lot of notes. But uh, I'm going to do my best to just try to deliver what the Lord has put on my heart. Will you bow your head and help me pray tonight? Father, I love you, and I thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy, and your love. And Lord, I'm grateful for one more opportunity, Lord, to stand behind the pulpit and to minister your already anointed gospel. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would open the ears, God, of everybody here to properly hear our hearts, God, that we might receive and anoint my lips to deliver. I know that the work before me is greater, Lord, than what I'm able to do. So I'm asking for your help. Do a work that I can't do, Lord, and I'll be very careful to give you the praise, the glory, and honor in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. Now let me begin here. Because I believe it's always a question in the mind, the heart of somebody when we start teaching upon marriage. It ought to be a question if you're a believer because you ought to want to be careful about your marriage covenant, about your marriage relationship. 
But anytime we begin to teach or preach on the marriage covenant, the question always surfaces about divorce. And I want to be plain about a couple of things. And first of all, maybe, maybe it's on your mind, maybe it's not. I'm not here. I don't have time to talk about divorce and marriage in, in, in great depth and both in the same setting. And I'm not here to teach on uh, divorce, but I want to say this. Though it shouldn't, divorce does happen. But when you're dealing with two believers, there's no reason for divorce to happen. There's no reason for divorce to happen. Because in order for the marriage covenant to be what the marriage covenant is supposed to be, both individuals, the husband and wife, should be growing in their relationship to Jesus. See, there's a third part to the marriage covenant, and that is Jesus, and he is the most important part. And as we're growing closer to the Lord individually, we should be growing closer to one another. That's the plan of God. So I want to say that divorce happens, and only clear reasons that we find, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you can look it up later, or in Matthew chapter number 19, also in this chapter. And the two reasons is an unbeliever simply departs from the believer. The unbeliever departs from the unbeliever. In that situation, there's nothing that you can do. If somebody wants to go and leave you and, and get a divorce, well, they can go and they'll find somebody that will give them a divorce, and there's nothing that you can do. And it's a sad thing today that when even we, we need to understand that I'm not here to okay divorce and I'm not here to, to whitewash or to belittle the marriage covenant. But there's a sad thing today when churches have taken and pulled license of ministers because they've been divorced when their spouse has left them and there's nothing that they could do about it. They just absolutely left. And so we need to understand that divorce happens, and, 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 and though it's sad, the other situation is that there is an adulterous lifestyle that is happening. That's the other reason, an adulterous, a, con a continued adulterous lifestyle. But I want to say in regards to this, and I'm going to sum it up and move on, that we are under grace. And being under grace, we have two guideposts. And that guidepost is, first of all, the Word of God. The second guidepost to guide us in our life is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when we look at these two guideposts, we take the Word of God and we study the Word of God and we seek the face of God and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit to lead God and direct us in every situation and every decision. And that includes in regards to the marriage covenant. Amen. A few of you agree with me. But I, 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 I want to, let me say this, then I'll move on. I already said that, but I'm going to say it again. Let me say this, and I'm moving on. We need to be careful about our marriage covenant. I'm going to stress it here greatly. There's a great example that's somewhat hidden in Scripture, but if we pay a close attention to the reading, it's not that hidden either. But in 2 Samuel, I'll tell you what, I'm going to bring it up. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. I don't know the exact scripture, but it won't take me just a second to find it. But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, looking at verse number 15, I want to show you this. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 15. This is after David had an affair with Bathsheba. He had an affair with Bathsheba. She's with child. David tried to cover up that sin. So to try to cover up that sin, he first sent him home to his house, but Uriah wouldn't go. The second time he got him drunk, but he still laid there at his doorpost. 
The third time, he said, just put him on the front line of the hottest battle in the heat of the battle, and Uriah come back, and he was dead. David was trying to cover his sin. When this scripture was wrote, Uriah's dead. And the Bible says, Nathan, who is a type of the Holy Spirit, departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife. The Holy Spirit still recognizing Bathsheba as Uriah's wife because she was Uriah's wife when David lied with her in an ungodly covenant. All right? So we need to be careful. Are you here tonight? We got everybody mad. Listen, divorce should not be in the mind and the heart of the child of God. It does happen. Sadly to speak, it does happen. But at all costs, the husband and wife ought to hang on and plead the blood and ask God to move in a great way. And if divorce happens, it ought to be with you holding on and the other one walked away and there was nothing you could do about it. All right, I'll move on. Everybody's thinking, shut up, go on. Now, I want to invest in the home by strengthening the marriage. God, God will be faithful to lead. God will be faithful to move in the marriage. And uh, on the day that we live in, the home as a whole is under attack. Do you know that now there's a few, there's a, maybe a year ago, last year, I could preach and talk about uh, the, the, the divorce rate in the United States of America. And at that time, the state of Arkansas was number two, rated number two for the most divorces out of 50 states. Do you know where we sit at today? Today we sit at number one for the most divorces in the United States of America. We're not the largest state by no means. We're not the largest. We're not the most populated. But in America, we are the number, we have the number one divorce rate. So we as ministers have got to invest and look at the marriage. The marriage covenant has been polluted by society and as a whole has been forgotten that marriage is not, doesn't just happen because you see a good looking man or you see a pretty lady and you want to live with them. Marriage is not for that because that don't last forever. All right? That initial, uh, that initial sight and that initial appealing of the flesh doesn't last forever. When all of that's gone, we have the covenant of what we stay because we made a covenant with the Lord. But the marriage covenant is being polluted. The marriage covenant is being torn apart and forgotten as a sacred biblical covenant. And we ought to come back to taking it as what it is. I'm going to be a little blunt, but I, I, I'm, I mean to be plain. But if we look at marriage in the very beginning... This scripture, Jesus quoted what God said in the beginning when he brought Adam and Eve together in Genesis chapter number 2. When he brought man and woman together, he said, This man shall leave his father and mother, and these two shall become one flesh. These two shall become one. The process before that was, and of the original Hebrew, and a little study will show us that when he took Adam out, that he laid Adam down and he did the first surgery. The Bible says that he took a rib out of Adam and he, he formed Eve, he formed woman out of the rib of a man. When he formed her out, and we've, we've seen it in the original text, the word rib, and I'm going to simple strong, anybody can look that up, and I want you to. 
I want you to check what I'm saying. But a simple Strong's will give you that the rib literally means side. It means that he took the side out. A deeper study in the original Hebrew text means that when he laid Adam down, he literally took half of Adam and he made Eve. Not talking about fleshly parts and all of this, but what he did was he took the attributes that makes up the woman and separated them from the attributes that makes up a man. A man is masculine. A man has all of these different traits that a man has when a woman can be nurturing. A woman can be effeminate in the way that she's supposed to be. And when he brought, Adam consumed all of these, but when he separated them and brought them back together, he meant to bring them back together so that they, one more time, would be complete only if two became one flesh. And if they were going to come back together as the miracle was when God laid Adam down and separated and took the side out, the only way they could come back together properly is for God to be in the middle of it and another miracle can take place. Look, all of us that are married can testify that for a man and a woman to come together, it's going to take a miracle because it's like mixing oil and water. Amen. Look, I give you permission to go ahead and amen me even though you're sitting by your spouse. That's the truth. I'm married tonight, but it's a miracle for us to come back together. All right? And so Adam and Eve and God said, these two shall become one flesh. Marriage was intended for us to be able to procreate. We went to replenish. The word is in the scripture to replenish the earth. It meant that man and woman was supposed to procreate, have children together. The Lord allowed this to happen. Marriage was intended to mirror our relationship with Christ and to be like in the covenant that Christ has in the church under the new covenant. Listen to that. I want you to think about that. It's supposed to mirror that relationship. And the way that we understand that is what is my duties and my relationship with Jesus because my same duty should be reflected in my marriage relationship. I'm going to get into that in just a little bit. Here's what I want you to know. A true biblical marriage, what God has joined together, what He has joined together is a man and a woman that is both trusting in the Lord for two to become one flesh. That's a biblical marriage. I want you to know what a biblical marriage is not and the world has accepted today. A biblical marriage is not a a man and a man. A biblical marriage is not a woman and a woman. Romans 1 said this is unnatural. Another reason it's not a biblical marriage is because these two cannot procreate. God did not intend to bring a woman and woman together or a man and a man together. If you want God to recognize a marriage covenant or a marriage relationship, it will be between a man and a woman. That simple. No other way. No other way. No way. It does not include. Listen, some of you is dating. Listen, it doesn't include being unequally yoked. The Lord doesn't say that's okay. He doesn't say that, well, you can try it. He simply says, be not unequally yoked with a non-believer. Don't be unequally yoked. You know what that means? If you got a person, you go, oh man, they're cute. I think they're the greatest thing in the world. First thing you ought to ask, are you a believer? Have you have accepted Christ? Well, you know, I'm not sure. Move on to the next one. God has got somebody better. I had a man tell me one time, his wife gave her heart to the Lord. 
He was serving God all the life. Uh, his son called me. He said, will you call my dad? I said, yeah, I've never talked to him before. Be glad to talk to him. And I called and talked to him. He just spilled out on me. And he said, I want you to call my wife and tell her that it's her responsibility to stay with me in order to try to get me saved. I said, sir, you got the wrong man for that because that would be the biggest lie I could ever sell. It's not your wife's responsibility to try to put you in a relationship with the Lord. If you recognize you're a sinner, you got two options. You will either accept Jesus Christ or you have rejected Him. But don't put more on your spouse than what God has put on you. That's not their place. Not their job to do that. He says, don't be unequally yoked. You can move on. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14. Be ye not unequally yoked with a non-believer. Don't even start that. I'm going to go a little further. This is the book of Steve. It's not Bible. I'm not giving it to you as law, but I'm going to help you a little further. But even if they're a believer, you need to sit down and talk about your beliefs and make sure that you can come together on your beliefs. It's not a good situation when you're coming to church somewhere and your spouse is going somewhere else. Not a good situation. That's division. So come together on your beliefs and make sure that you can come together in this covenant of marriage. Regardless of the worldview and of those that enter in and out carelessly, there are those that marry, divorce, marry, divorce, marry, divorce, marry, divorce. I want you to know that's careless. I know it happens, but I'm just telling you that's careless. Somebody is not praying and seeking the Lord. Understand tonight that you... I got to move on. Marriage is still a sacred covenant that is instituted by God. It's still a sacred covenant instituted by God. Now let's understand covenant. Let's go here. Then I get to back up to my good part. We define covenant. Defined is an oath binding promise whereby the two parties vow to serve one another, or one party vows to serve another party in, in, a, in one way or another. The two have their equal parts. The two, every covenant has conditions to be met by each party. Every covenant has conditions. Well, Jesus, don't he, 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 he loves us unconditionally, he died for us unconditionally. It's conditions. The condition is that you place your faith in Him. That's condition. You're not going to heaven just because you were born of a woman. We must place our faith in Jesus and accept Him as our Savior. The two parties have conditions. Usually every covenant has a sign or a symbol. Abraham and Abimelech had a covenant, and their sign, what they did, they traded seven ewe lambs. Jacob and Laban had a covenant, and the sign of that was a heap of stones. God and Noah had a covenant, and though this one has been polluted also, the covenant was the sign of the rainbow, and I'll never, never flood the earth again in the way I did. Marriage has a covenant sign or symbol that's used by most every marriage, and that is the wedding ring. The circle symbolizes of our ending love to one another, our pledge of unending love to one another. Wedding rings used to be gold. Mine is black tonight, but it used to be gold. And the gold symbolizes the purity of one another's love for one another. That doesn't mean I don't love my wife because I got a black ring. In her defense, she didn't like it. I loved it because it was like $5. Some of it's already come apart, but 
She's wanting a mic right now. If y'all can't tell that look, she's thinking, give me a mic. I need to talk. The covenant was sealed by a sacrifice. Here's what I want you to see. You have to follow me, but I want you to see this. The covenant was sealed by a sacrifice. Two people had made a covenant. They decided to go into a covenant relationship one with the other. Jake, would you help me? Me and Jake, we agreed on a covenant. We decided that we were going to make a covenant one with the other. Let's just say he's got some farm ground he's going to rent to me. And because of that, I'm going to pay him a percentage of whatever cattle that I raise. What we would do in regards to this covenant and how covenant was done in the Old Testament is that we got a sacrifice. That sacrifice could be animal of our choosing most of the time, a lamb. We took that sacrifice. I'm backing you up for a purpose. We took that sacrifice, and it was split down the middle. It wasn't split here because here was not equal parts. But if you split it here, all the way down the middle, it was split equal parts. Jake would take one half. I would take the other half. We would walk in the middle, have two uh, altars, so to speak, on each side. Come on with me. The blood is being poured out all over this altar. He set his sacrifice there. I set my half of my sacrifice here. And now we are trampled in the blood of that covenant, and we are standing in the middle of the covenant. Me and Jake has just entered into a covenant relationship with one another, and we sealed it by this sacrifice. Everybody with me? That's old covenant relationship. That's old covenant, what they did in old covenant. And the new covenant, you can have a seat. I'll probably pull you back up. And the new covenant, I promise I won't spit on you. When we see covenant relationship with Jesus, what Jesus did was said this. Let me back up and say, first of all, in the old covenant, the mediator of the old covenant, the complete old covenant, if we're not talking about two individuals, but the mediator of the old covenant was a man by the name of Moses. Moses is to whom it was given the law, but what we've seen was, even though the old covenant was holy and the old covenant was pure, the old covenant lacked the ability to be able to produce righteousness in us. Let me just say it like this. Under the old covenant, it demanded law and works. But also the old covenant was for Israel. It wasn't for us. I like how Brother Larson said it. The old covenant, that's not my covenant. That's not my covenant. I'm under a new covenant. But even the old covenant, because it demanded so much, it failed in the way of being right before the Lord because even Moses, the mediator, failed and disobeyed God. And when he disobeyed God, God could not allow him into the promised land. Therefore, the mediator of the old covenant itself failed. That Moses was a man and he failed. The mediator of the new covenant was just like this old covenant they entered into and be inside of it is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the difference between Jesus and Moses is dramatic because Jesus can't never fail. And what Jesus said was, I will allow you to enter into a covenant relationship with me and all I'm asking of you is for you to believe upon me. If you'll place your faith in me, I will let you in. I'll do everything else. I will allow the power of the Holy Spirit 
Spirit to work in you. I will provide for you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will direct you. I will heal you. I will deliver you. I will keep you. I will give you an inheritance. I will seal you. Do you understand? I will make you accepted. Somebody ought to be getting excited. I will predestine. I will do all of these things. All I want you to do in this tremendous covenant that I'm offering you is to believe. We got a good end of the deal. And so Jesus said, Romans 6 and 3 says, don't you know that you were baptized into Jesus? What's that mean? It was meant this. When me and Jake walked into this covenant and I had part of the sacrifice and he had part of the sacrifice and we entered in and with that part being there and that part being there, God recognized us as being inside of the covenant. Well, the new covenant was Jesus and all we had to do is place our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. Don't you know that you were baptized fully submerged into Jesus Christ? When I said yes to Jesus, God the Father looked at me and He seen me as being inside of the sacrifice by the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptism into Christ. Thank you. It was His blood that was shed. I came in, I entered into Jesus because He was the sacrifice. Everybody with me? Everybody understand? He's the sacrifice, so I entered into him. And all I got to do in order to stay in covenant relationship with Jesus is believe. Well, I messed up yesterday. Well, welcome to Christianity. Just because you failed didn't throw you out of the covenant. Again, it's not when you fail. It's it's not if you fail. It's when you fail. But when you failed, didn't throw you out of covenant. Because the Lord said, well, I'm still here. I'm keeping my end of the deal. The covenant was sealed by the sacrifice. The marriage covenant, a man and a woman, entered into this covenant before uh, to one another. But the first, your first pledge, I tell, I think the last ones I married was Tristan and Caitlin. But I tell every one of them, I said, you need to understand, when you make this covenant, When you make this pledge, when you start to say your vows, you are making them to God first. You're making them to God first. And let me tell you something. He's listening. You're making them. You're pledging your love. You're pledging your life. You're pledging your trust. You're pledging your honor to them. And God is sitting there listening. Because what you're doing is you're telling God, God, I promise to love her. I promise to trust her. I promise to honor her. I promise to to, to invest in her fullness of her purpose for you. I'm promising God that I'm going to do everything I can to support her as an individual. That's what you're doing. You're pledging that to God. Somebody needs to hear that. I said, you promised that to God. And then you're promising it to one another. Secondly, that's a secondary promise. We vowed. They pledged that they would provide what was intended to be provided in order to be complete. Thus, the miracle of two becoming one starting to happen. And I'm talking about everything. The place of the woman, the place of the man, emotionally, physically, spiritually, you are pledging that you will be the one that will help to provide and help to encourage that. And again, it's a miracle. 
The man and woman both have their parts. And I, I'm talking about the man and the woman in regards, uh, uh, they both have their part. But the first part is their desire to God and their desire to keep their word to God. In the book of Ephesians in chapter number 5, we're not going to go there, but everybody knew I was going to go there. The Bible says that wives are so supposed to submit. They're supposed to submit. Keep in mind, we're talking about a biblical marriage. We're talking about a man that is, uh, that is on his face seeking the way of the Lord for his family. That's what he's doing. And the wife is supposed to submit. She's not supposed to submit to the authority of a man. She's supposed to submit to the authority of a man that is seeking after the face of God. That's what they're supposed to do. The wives are supposed to submit to spiritual authority. Their submission is to Christ. Wives, if you've got a godly husband and you are seeking the face of, or they are seeking the face of God for your family, the Lord sees you as submitting unto Him as God when you submit unto your husband who is following hard after the Lord for your family. Did I confuse anybody? I hope that was plain. The way that you are seen submissive to God is you submit to your spiritual husband is that understood so we submit to our spiritual husband the spiritual head is the husband when God works through him it shouldn't puff us up men it shouldn't make us think well I'm the head and the wife is not the head it shouldn't think that it should hit you with a great responsibility it should hit you with a great responsibility your family is depending on you finding the mind of God to lead them and guide them. That's not the wife's responsibility. I'm going to be a little straightforward, but I'm going to do it anyway. In the day and the hour that we live in, we need some men of God to step back up and to take their place as the head of the family. It is not your wife's job. She was not built that way. She was not asked to carry that burden. Do your part as a man and be a man. The wives are to reverence their husband. That means you are to pray for your husband. Pray for your husband because they have this great responsibility. Pray for them. That the Lord, that their ears would be open to God. That God, that God would speak to them. When this church first asked us, may it be 15 years to allow us to be voted on. Two or three times we said, I don't know, I just don't think I'm ready for that. My Uncle James said on the board, he's consistent. You need to keep thinking about it. I kept praying about it. I kept seeking the Lord. I finally went to Sister Becky and said, I think it's God's will for us to go in this direction. She said, I think you're wrong. I said, okay. I went back and prayed. I don't mean this unkind, and she won't take it that way, but it was somewhat a year after that before she told me the words, you made the right move. Because for a year, she, she thought, I, I think we messed up. You know what happened there? The Lord spoke to me first, because that's the proper channel. And then later on, it was a lot later than what I wanted it to be, he revealed it to the wife. Husbands and wives, let me say this. Husbands, you got a great responsibility to find the mind of the Lord. Wives, he's got a great responsibility. Listen, wives, that's your husband's responsibility. Don't take that lightly. Wives, you've got a great responsibility to trust, 
that your husband has heard from God. Men, that's not easy for them to do. Men, that's not easy for them to do. They've been their own person for a long time. And now we're supposed to surrender to the husband's spiritual authority and you expect it to happen overnight? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. But you keep praying for them. Your job is to lead. Their job is to follow. And when you're leading and you know you're leading and you're leading right, you can't make them follow. Am I doing okay? It's awful quiet. I know there's stone Stephen in the Bible. We're not doing that tonight. So take that in consideration. The husband. Difficult to find, and I don't care how spiritual you are. There are some decisions that hit us in life, and it's difficult to find the mind of the Lord. And it's also equally as difficult for the wife to submit. Gives us all more reason to be praying one for another. Husbands, pray for your wife. Wife, pray for your husband. Because we both got equal responsibilities in this marriage covenant. In verse number 25, the Bible says the husband is to love, Christ, love their wife as Christ loved the church. There's your qualifier. My dad told me before I got married, if I'd properly love, then my wife would find it a whole lot easier to properly submit. If you'll properly love, and that's the qualifier. Jesus died for the church. That's how much he loved the church. He'd come into a covenant relationship. And when I talk about the church, the church is made up of individuals, so I can't delete us out as individuals. We're supposed to love as Jesus loved us. And you can't do that without saying, God, I'm angry today. But I know I'm supposed to love her, so I need a little help. Amen. That's okay. You don't got to amen me. I'll let you stay safe. Leave me all by myself. Thank you, God. I'll find out who my friends are. (laughs) The husband is supposed to love. So let me ask you. Husband, you're supposed to love as Christ loved the church. Do you properly love your spouse? Do you properly love your spouse? Be a lot, there may be a lot of bickering and fighting because we haven't properly loved our spouse. Hey, you're either going to answer yes or you're going to answer no. If you answer no, it's not a time of saying, oh, no, I failed. It's a time to say, you know what, God, forgive me. I need, I need some help. I need some help. God won't put more on you than what you're able to bear. And so when we come to a place and you say, you know, it's just not there, we say, God, I need some help, and he'll help us. The husband is to lead, and the wife is to follow, and it can only be done if both are looking to Jesus Christ. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Our text, Matthew chapter 19, verse number 4. I've already brought this out. But the Lord said, he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he w- that made them in the beginning made them male and female? Very plain. This is the only option for marriage that God recognizes. And it should be the only option that our state or country or anybody else recognizes. And that is between a male and a female. Verse number five. He said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. I want to bring out a couple of things. Verse 5, the word cause is literally, there's a reason here. That's what it means, for this reason. There's a reason. There's a reason. All right? 
He says, leave their father and mother. The word leave means to put that relationship that I had when I was at home with my mom and dad, that relationship goes second. Put it behind, put it second. That's what the Bible says. It, it goes behind this new relationship. I'm not joined in regards to a marriage covenant to my mother or my father. The Lord is not working the miracle of making us two or us three one. The Bible says that I'm supposed to leave father and mother. In other words, that relationship comes second. My wife, after God, comes first, comes number one. I put God first, and that's easier said than done. God can bring you to a place. I doubt there's very few. That, I don't mean that unkind. But I, I would say, I would dare to say there's very few that loves God more than they love their spouse. And I'm careful when I say that, but uh, I, 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 I want to be plain also. But my relationship with my wife comes after my relationship with God. And then after my wife comes my family, my mom, my dad, everybody else. But I am recognized when I was under my mom and dad's wing, I was part of their family unit. But now that I'm out of their wing and I've joined myself to my wife, we have our own family unit. And now the Lord has took me. I have grown because of the raising of my mom and dad and because of the maturity in the word. I've went from the milk and the meat. I'm no longer a son. I'm becoming a father. And what I'm doing now, I'm grown to the place where I have to take my own leadership with the Lord. Look, I call my dad a lot. And I'll say, Dad, what about this? Dad, I just need to talk. Dad, I just want to check in. I'll call and talk to him. But I want you to know, of all the things that my dad can tell me and all the things that he could say, there's a lot of times when he have to say, son, you're just going to have to back up and pray about that. You know why? Because my dad's relationship and his advice doesn't come before the advice of, my, of the power and the voice of the Holy Spirit. If I need true direction, I've got to go to God because I've got the responsibility of leading my family, leading my wife to the Lord. Their relationship comes second. Now, he says, cleave. Cleave to his wife. The word cleave means is glue. It means to adhere. That means to stick with. Again, we're talking about a, a marriage covenant where husband and wife is both serving the Lord. I'm supposed to stick with them when they're serving God. You don't stick with them. If, 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 I had a person tell me, well, you know, I know they're not saved and they don't fear God and they, they don't know Jesus as a Savior, but I'm supposed to honor my husband uh, my, uh, my, even, though, even though that they're not saved. No, sir, no, ma'am. You're supposed to reverence God first. You reverence God first because that's my first relationship. Cleave means stick with. If my, my, my wife loves the Lord, I love the Lord, we're going to stick together and do what we can to follow after God and what God's plans is for our life and for our family. And that's what he's talking about. He says these two shall become one flesh. One flesh literally means one family unit. It means there's a miracle. Two become one. Two become one. Two become one. A miracle is going to happen where God is going to take two individuals and going to put them together with one family unit. What do I mean by that? That means that you have one desire and that is to be what God wants you to be. Your goals become the same. The direction for your family becomes the same. Your desires and ministry become the same. All of these things God is lining up as two are becoming one. It's a miracle. Only the Lord can do that. But two shall become one. In verse number six he says wherefore they are no more twain. No more twain literally means you're not two individual people. You're no longer two separate one, uh, units but, uh, but you know we we, we operate in the interest, the best interest of one and another. 
You're not two separate. It's not, well, you do what you want, and I'll do what I want. That's okay if you're not married. That's fine if you're not married. You have no obligation. If you're married, the, you know, you're your person, I'm my person, that, that, is, that ideology is not right in the marriage unit. He says, these two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, join. Let me say this right here. If we talk about, I, I believe teenagers, listen to me. Got people in here that's not married, listen. You need to pray and ask the Lord for the right person. I honestly believe nothing better than marriage if you got the right person, but nothing worse if you got the wrong one. I believe that. You need to pray that God would send you the right one. You want the right one for you, and God's got a right one for you. When we look at what God has joined together, there's marriages out there that are unequally yoked. There's a before they ever got married. There's the, I'm not saved, but I am saved. Look, God, I say this kindly, but God does not join all those together because it didn't meet the criteria of his word. But what God has joined together literally means yoked. I hate to use this example and somebody, I already know it's a bad example, but it's a biblical example and it's what the scripture's talking about. But when it says joined and uses the word yoked, it literally means as two oxen in a field that are yoked together pulling a plow. Now, how much plowing do you think that farmer's going to get done if one oxen's going this way and the other one's trying to go this way? No. One of them's going to have to go. You're not never going to get anything done. You're not never going to be, uh, you're not never going to be productive because the ground's not going to ever get tilled. So there's not ever going to be anything planted. So there's never going to be nothing that comes up. So there's never going to be no fruit produced. Are you with me? It's talking about joined together. We yoked you together. There's two that are yoked together. You go in the same direction, and you got the same goal. You're working the same field. Everybody with me so far? And then he says, let no man put asunder. The word asunder means place room apart. And this is what God intended. You didn't get married so you could be apart. Now, we all like our, I said, my, me and my wife, we're both pretty independent. But we like our time alone sometimes. We do. That's not what the scripture's talking about. But it's, it's talking about that when we are not to be put asunder, place no room apart that would cause permanent separation. Now let me go back to this. I want to ask you a hard question. Our marriage covenant should mirror our relationship with Christ. I'm in a teaching type setting tonight. So everybody agree with that so far? Our marriage should be careful before you. Amen. Our marriage should mirror our relationship with Christ. And I'll say this. Our marriage covenant should always mirror that relationship, and it does more than what we realize. It does more than what we realize. Now, I'm going to get into this in just a little bit, but I want to ask you a question. If your marriage mirrors your relationship with God, and you think about your marriage right now, and that's mirroring your relationship with God, and your relationship with your spouse, and how you treat your spouse, and how you do your part, and your part of the marriage, it's mirroring your relationship with God. So I want to ask you this, how's your relationship with God? I just told off on some of you. Everybody's spouse is thinking, well, this ain't real good. 
If it mirrors, then how's your relationship with God? Let me go a little deeper. Somebody's saying quit. Let me go just a little deeper. Luke 9, 23, my favorite scriptures. Our relationship with the Lord is given to us like this. He said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The criteria for being a disciple, a follower of Christ, or being joined to Christ, the first thing we got to do is deny ourselves. I doubt there's a greater test of self-denial in the world than marriage. I, I doubt there's a greater test of self-denial than marriage. Jesus said you got to deny yourself. I deny myself. I can't be what God wants me to be without his help. Deny myself. In a marriage, we are to deny ourselves, keep my vow with God, my pledge with God, and also serve, not as a servant, but to serve my spouse. I serve God. Serve my spouse. I lost you. Are you here? All right? Everybody's quiet. I'm telling you, I'm not doing no marriage counseling tonight. I'm going, I'm going home. Our relationship with Christ is totally dependent upon denial of self. You can't serve God if you've not denied yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't change yourself. You can't deliver yourself. You can't grow by yourself. It's all about denying self. Everything I see of God, the more I have of God, it has to be a little bit less of me die. And the stronger my marriage relationship, my marriage covenant grows, there has to be a little bit less of me, of Steve, that dies so that we can allow this miracle of two becoming one to happen. It's no longer me. It's about us. It's not no longer about her, but it's about us. It's not me. It's not her. It's about us. What are we doing? We are looking to the Lord to follow after what he has for us. Are you with me? One of the greatest trials and greatest challenges of denying self has got to be that of the marriage. Unlike our covenant with Christ, Jesus cannot fail. We're going to fail. We're going to fail. We're going to mess up. And Jesus doesn't throw us out when we fail. He forgives us. Failure doesn't mean give up and quit. Failure doesn't mean give up and quit and throw your hands in the air. Can I just tell you tonight, stay in the covenant. Stay in the covenant. Stay in the covenant. Husband and wife, you're learning to deny self, to be about one another as one unit. You're going to fail. Husband, you're going to fail. Wife, you're going to fail. But I want to tell you, stay in the covenant. Stay in the covenant. Stay in the covenant. As long as you'll stay in the covenant, God will continue to work to bring you back together. Do as Jesus. Forgive one another. Love one another. Help one another. Pick one another up. Encourage one another. Pat each other on the back. Comfort one another. Keep each other safe. But don't quit. Stay in the covenant. He said to take up the cross. It means the benefits of the cross. 
If I take up the benefits of the cross, I take up everything that God has provided for me in this relationship. If I take up the benefits of my marriage, I take up the benefits that God, everything that God has provided through me, through the woman. The nurturing side, the physical side, the supportive side, the encouraging side. Take up the benefits of the marriage covenant. But don't, it's in my spirit, don't leave the covenant. Stay in the covenant. The great benefit of becoming one is that you're personally, you are personally a part of an ongoing miracle. Come on, there's marriages in here right now, and me and Sister Becky, I'll include her, will cut to the front of the line. It's a miracle that we're together today. There's marriages in here today that say it's a miracle that we're together today. You're part of an ongoing miracle. Stay in the covenant. You're, you're watching a miracle unfold every day and see where the Lord has to take us. When we see male and female together supplying one another what is lacking, it's an ongoing miracle. We should follow Him and not quit and not give up on this covenant. Now, I ask you that. I'm going to repeat this and I'm going to finish what I have. I'm almost done. If marriage, if my relationship of the Lord requires me to deny myself, it requires me to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And the more that I do that, the greater I grow in my relationship with the Lord. If that is mirroring my relationship with my spouse, I should desire, d- 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 I should deny myself, keep my faith in Jesus and what he did for me on the cross of Calvary. And as I am growing closer to the Lord, as Sister Becky growing closer to the Lord, we're coming together as one another. We're growing closer to God. We're growing closer to each other. Now, I want to ask you another hard question. If my, I already asked you this, but I'm going to repeat it. If my marriage relationship is mirroring my relationship with God, and it is, then it's a good time to see where my relationship with God is at. God, you know, I don't mean this in an unkind way, it's just honest. But we have got so much quit in us. We got a lot of quit. A lot of quit and give up. Oh, if it don't work out right. I had a man tell me the other day, his daughter was getting married. I told her, if it don't work out, don't worry about it. We'll just find you another one. I said, sir, you should not have told her that. That's wrong. You're teaching your daughter to be a quitter. You should tell them if they have problems, sit down with somebody that's going to give them the word and pray with them and encourage them and tell them to look to Christ. Because if you just tell a boy or a girl, if it don't work out, we'll just find you another one, it ain't going to work out. It ain't going to work out very long. So if your marriage is mirroring your relationship with God, how is your relationship with God? Now, here's a hard question. What if in this marriage relationship the other one is not fulfilling their part? I think I could hear a pin drop right now. What if the other one is not fulfilling their part? What do I do? Where do I go? How do I change that? First, you realize, I want you to realize something. The greatest part of 
our discouragement in a marriage is that we are depending on the other one to a point that if they don't do it, that we're mad and we're upset, we're discouraged. I'll give you an example. I'm going to pick on me and Sister Becky. She's going to want that mic here in a minute. Here a month or so ago, I say the other day, her mother had hip surgery. During that time, she had to stay with her mom. Now, Sister Becky, I, I don't never, it's just not something that I, I worry about. I don't worry about clean clothes. She's, she's fooled me in that area. I mean, work clothes, work whatever. I don't worry about them. Because she's always, hamper starts getting close to full. She gets them, takes them to the washer. She washes them. I don't worry about that. Well, when she had to stay with her mom, it's not no big deal. Laundry's not hard. It's not difficult. I got my laundry out. I went in there and put it in the washer and I turned the washer on and washed some clothes. Not no big deal. Come back, got them dried. I folded them, did everything just like I was supposed to do. Taking care. Now, look, I didn't sweep and mop and do all that mess. Y'all don't take me too far. But I had clean clothes and clean dishes because I'm going to wear clean clothes and I'm going to eat. And so I take care of doing it. I'll do the dishes and I'll do the laundry or whatever. No big deal. I didn't think nothing about that. You know what? While she was gone, do you know how many times I expected her to get my laundry done? None. I wasn't expecting it. I'm trying to give you an example. I didn't go and look for my favorite John Wayne coffee cup and it was dirty. And I was expecting it to be clean. I didn't worry about it because it was my responsibility. I didn't get discouraged. Now, I didn't get upset because everything come back to me. But if she's at home and I walk in there and I don't have some clean pants to put on, I'm thinking, what has she been doing? I'm trying, to give you, <laughs> I'm trying to give you a good example. Look, it never happens, honestly. It never happens, just few and far between, and that's because she either told me to do it or <laughs> something. But the reason I got discouraged or upset is because I was expecting her to do something that I could do. Now why is it getting quiet? That was a good point. Well, while she's gone, I wasn't expecting nothing. I didn't get discouraged. I didn't get upset. I just did it. I just did it. What if while they were there, we just did it? We just took care of it. Husband is ahead of the wife, and the wife is ahead of the husband all the time, just doing stuff one for another. Well, you're not getting discouraged. You're not expecting anything. You're just saying, hey, thanks. I tried to make it a habit. She We've been married a long time, and she washes clothes, and she folds them, and I say, hey, thank you for doing my laundry. I appreciate it. I really do. But I, got to, I get discouraged if I'm expecting, and it doesn't happen. Does that make sense? Oftentimes, a husband and wife is expecting, well, that's your part. <laughs> no, your part is to seek the Lord. Discouraged. Your part to Christ is first, even though you're married. Your vow, your marriage vow was to Jesus first. 
Because for this great miracle to become, for two to become one, it's going to take the Lord. And I want to say this. This is maybe not encouraging what I'm about to say, but it's the truth. What do you do when you get in a situation where the other just will not do their part, fulfill their part at all? We are two that's becoming one. But even though we're two that's becoming one, you entered into this covenant relationship and you promised God first. So what do you do? You do your part regardless of what they do. Because there's a day coming that you're going to stand before the Lord and you don't have to answer for your spouse on that day. No, sir. No, ma'am. You won't answer for your spouse. You will answer for how you kept your covenant with your spouse. You won't answer for them. They have needs. They have, they have things they're supposed to provide. I have needs. I have things I'm supposed to provide. I am to do my part according to my vow to the Lord. And she is to do her part according to her vow to the Lord. And when it all comes said and done, I, I, I've sat down with people and, and one or the other has just sold up and got mad. I ain't doing another thing because they won't do nothing anyway. Well, come on, y'all. That's pretty immature. But in the end... They're going to have to answer for them. But two can become one as long as we keep our faith and our trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. I want you to know, now look, I don't have to be prophetic or anything to tell you that, you know, I know of I know of people that having a little rough time in their marriage. You talk to me. But let me just be blunt and say this. I don't know how many married couples that are in here. I could never talk about marriage and not touch on it on a moment when some marriage is not having a rocky moment. You can't do that because we all have rocky moments. But I did come to tell you, the marriage covenant, we have watched it in the last few years, is under attack. And I can't help but to believe that the devil's smiling at all of the destruction that he has made within the marriage and all of the, the marriages that he has destroyed. But I want you to know tonight, I've had people sit and tell me I don't love him anymore, and the other one said, I don't love her no more. And I said, well, I know this sounds dumb, but I want you just to forget about your marriage concentrate on your relationship with the Lord. And when they was done repairing their relationship with God, they were more in love than what they ever was. Do you know there is a famous, and I don't mean to go on, there's a famous minister, if I called her name, most everybody would know her. She got on national television and said that her and her husband got a divorce because God was taking their ministry in two different directions. Every true Child of God should have shut her off and never listened anymore. Because God don't do that. God don't do that. He don't break up a marriage. Uh-uh. He's bringing you together. Two shall become one. That's wrong. But I come to tell you tonight, I know marriage covenant is under attack. The marriage covenant is under a great attack. The home is under a great attack. Your children are under great attack. 
But the thing the devil is looking at, I want you to think about what I'm saying. If he can destroy your marriage, he's broke your home. If he breaks your home, he's divided your children. If he divides your children, he has a better chance of them not believing upon Jesus Christ. So I come to tell you, stay in the covenant. Stay in the covenant. Stay in the covenant. And let this miracle continue to take place. Would you stand with me? Father, I love you tonight. I'm thankful, God, for your grace and for your mercy and your love. I'm thankful tonight, God, for the marriage covenant. I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit that works, Lord, to bring this great miracle together of two becoming one. Lord, the hour we live in has not caught you off, God. You know, Lord, that our marriage, our home, our families is under attack. But, Lord, I know that any time the enemy comes with an attack, that the power of the Holy Spirit always counterattacks in a greater way. Lord, I pray for every marriage that's here tonight, God, and I'm asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to move upon them in a mighty way. I pray tonight, God, that we would understand that our vow to each other was to you first. And if we will look to you, God, that you will continue, Lord, to move in our hearts and in our lives in a mighty way. Though the devil would like to destroy when we get through this part, when we get through this trial, our marriage shall be greater, it shall be stronger than what it ever was. I'm believing you, Lord, for this great miracle to continue to happen. And I pray, God, for every individual, every married person that's out there, or those that have even thought about marriage, Lord, to take these things at heart. Let us look to you, God, and listen to your voice. Let the power of the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit move upon us, and Lord, be more clear than what it's ever been before. And I give you praise for it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what I want to do. It's what I feel led to do. Brother Jeff, coming. Some don't feel comfortable, and that's okay. But what I'd like to do is if you are here tonight and you're married, I'd like for you to grab your spouse by the hand. And bring her up to the front and what we're going to do. I've just prayed for marriage. I've prayed for your home. But I want to just take a moment as he plays something softly, that he sing something just softly. Sometimes it's hard for us to continue and to stay in the, I'm going to say habit, the good habit of praying one for another. Praying for our spouse. Our lives are busy. We can get ready and be too tired and go to bed and forget our prayer a lot of times when it's important that we pray one for another. So as we close this service out, before we close this service out, as he's playing tonight, I just want to take a moment. If you're here tonight and you're married and you feel comfortable in doing so, I want to ask you to come, grab your spouse by the hand, stretch out across this front, and we're going to take a moment. We're going to pray for you, and we're going to allow you to pray one for another that God would touch and that he would bless your home tonight.
If you're here and you're married and your spouse is not here, why don't you come? It'd be a good time to pray for them, to ask the Lord to touch them. Come on, gather around. Get by a family member, whatever. Sister Becky, come on. Here's what we want to do. We're just going to play something. He's going to play something. Keep playing. We're going to pray one for another. And ask the Lord to touch, to strengthen our spouse. We're going to believe God to move in your home and to move in your life. So let's do that tonight. Why don't you bow your head? Pray one for another. Ask God to touch and bless your spouse and to bless your home. Tonight, Father, we love you, God, and we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, as we stand here with our spouses tonight, Lord, husband and wife, hand in hand, Lord, we know that our family, our marriage, God, is under a great attack. But I'm praying tonight, Lord, that you would strengthen the home and that you would, the power of the Holy Spirit would move, God, in a greater way than what you've ever done. Lord, I pray for my wife, and I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give her a great hunger and a desire for you. I pray that you would keep your hand upon her, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit would flow, God, upon her heart. I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would help her to be the individual that you've called her to be. And, Lord, I pray that our marriage, God, would be what you want it to be. I pray, God, that you would help me as a husband, as a man, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would give me the boldness, Lord, that when I hear, God, to follow after you. God, I know that my family depends upon me listening to you, God, and being up on my face. And, Lord, I'm just asking in the name of Jesus that you would bless our home and that you would bless our family. Let us be, God, in the center of your will, and let us be exactly what you want us to be, Lord. God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would move upon every marriage covenant that is represented here tonight. God, there are those that are standing here without their spouse, but, Lord, I pray that you would honor, God, that empty position. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would move upon them and draw them, God. Lord, convict them, Lord, and give them a hunger and a desire to serve you, God. Lord, I'm praying, Lord, for homes, God, that would be homes that are uh, that, that, that serve you tonight, Lord. And I know, God, that this miracle that two shall become one is possible, Lord, only if we look to you, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bless us, God. Help us to be what you want us to be, God. And we give you praise, and we give you glory, and we give you honor for it. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. Sing whatever you got. We just worship just a moment before we see it. Go ahead. If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.